Welcome to Flunking the Written, a fully spoiled Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast in which two uber fans break down every episode of the show. Join Kimberly and Megan every other Tuesday as they overanalyze each scene and discuss the Buffyverse at large. Now let's meet up with the Scoobies and get into this episode of Flunking the Written. What can I say? I flunked the written. All right, Kim, the time has come. Becoming. I'm so excited. <laughs> I could tell because pretty much at the end of any of our like recent episodes, we were like, well, we've got to get through this episode and this episode, but then it's becoming. <laughs> <laughs> I rewatched it just this afternoon. Oh, I rewatched it this, yeah, this morning, but late morning. So I am, it's very fresh on my brain. My notes are all over the place and my thoughts are all over the place. It should be a good podcast. I'm excited. (laughs) Becoming Part 1 was written and directed by Joss Whedon. And the DVD blurb is, Kendra returns to help Buffy when Angel plots to revive an ancient demon bent on sweeping everything on Earth into hell itself. Pretty accurate. Yeah. These blurbs for these two episodes just, like, reveal, like, the big character twist. Because the next one definitely mentions Spike siding with Buffy. (laughs) Oh, does it? The next one will be the very first episode where Spike and Buffy ever work together. Mm-hmm. We can't talk about that now. First, we must talk uh, about Whistler, the most important Buffyverse character. I love Whistler. <laughs> I love how little Whistler is in the series, and yet is just like one of those characters that whenever I hear his voice, I'm like, ah, it's Whistler. <laughs> yeah. It's just these two episodes. Yeah. Although I kind of always equate Whistler with Doyle yeah. from Angel. And like I think, those two, to me, seem very, very similar. And I always think of them as, like, the same character. And I know they're not. They're yeah. not meant to be. But they always seem very similar to me. Yeah. A lot of my random thoughts that I have about this episode are specifically to do with Whistler. So it'll be it'll be an interesting conversation. But the episode opens up with Whistler narrating. Well, and you, and you realize, you know, pretty much, immediately that this is going to be a very intense episode because we have a narrator mm-hmm. yeah the last time that happened was passions and it was angel <laughs> yeah and, and this is someone died. we don't know <laughs> huh? and someone died guess what happens in right? this episode <laughs> <laughs> i know i don't know if there's like a pattern forming but if narration equals somebody dying then <laughs> We, we should keep up with that. That's a very special counter. But yes, Whistler is talking about there's moments in life that make you. They set the course of who you're going to be. Sometimes they're little subtle moments. Sometimes they're not. Introducing our flashback of Galway, Ireland in 1753. And this is our first time hearing the beautiful Irish accent that David Boreanaz does flawlessly. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> No comment. <laughs> Not quite a uh, upstanding member of society. Yes, when we, he, we back see, when he was a human, we see him drunken stumble out of a out of a tavern after like he's been kicked out because he can't afford to buy any more booze. Not the best yeah. impression. 
of this and gentleman here. Drunkenly offers to take his friend to steals from his father yeah. so they can buy more booze. Yeah, I mean, who has And then that? when his friend <laughs> passes out in the middle of the street, Angel just leaves him there. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, he wasn't the greatest person to begin with. Yes, absolutely. And I believe, like, this is our first, like, major flashback episode, which continues to be very prominent in the rest of Buffy and especially in Angel. It's very significant in telling Angel's story. But this yes. is like the first time really experiencing that. And mm -hmm. the interesting thing about these flashbacks for me is that they're just, they're so rapid fire like highlights from mm -hmm. Angel's life. And I just like, I got so excited when I saw Julie Benz. And I was just like, oh yeah, Darla's in this episode. I'm so excited to see Darla. And Darla's in it for like three seconds. And I'm just like, yeah. no, I wanted more Darla. <laughs> yeah, the flashbacks are very important. Yes, they're, they're yeah, setting so. up the key moments in Angel's life. Of course, this one here is focusing on him being turned. And mm -hmm. this is like the... When him and Darla yeah. met. Yeah, this is when him and Darla met. She was very certain that he was going to be a good partner, I guess, from his drunken stumble. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know that, like, it, it elaborates on it later on, but it's just funny just watching this episode in isolation, and he's just, like, just a drunken man roaming through the streets. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I'll turn that one. <laughs> but we find out later that she has been watching him for some time. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know that in this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny. <laughs> but, yeah, she bites him, and then he sucks... The blood from her bosom is what I wrote in my notes. So it's a very motherly act from That's her. That's how they uh, tend to, to make vampires, always from the chest, which I've never really thought of the chest as something that bled very much, and it seems weird yeah. to me. Well, you don't need a lot of, like, vampire blood in your system to turn, so maybe that's why they chose that. Just a little. There's not a significant thing that I can say about this other than I already feel like this is more my Darla than what we got in season one. And we get so little of her, but she just feels more like Darla in this little section that they have her in. And I just love the presence she has. Um, she's one of my favorites and I love anytime I get to see that actress play that character. And of course, before turning, you have the line, close your eyes, which will be important. <laughs> Very important. So current day, Angel is watching Buffy fight two vampires in the cemetery. And um, he's just delighting in, in watching her work. She stakes one of them and tells the other to deliver a message to Angel. And the vampire doesn't seem to want to back down. So she just gives up and stakes him as well. I have questions about this. It doesn't make sense to me from a strategy point of view. Like, I get that she's like, I want to, I'm tired of waiting. I'm going to take the fight to Angel. But if that's what you're about to do, why tell him? Yeah. Oh, heads up. I'm coming for you. Why? It, it makes no sense. Yeah. There's also the whole thing like delivering a message is not a justifiable reason to keep a vampire alive. Like if that vampire goes out and kills other people because you let it live so it could deliver a message, then that's yeah, the same I'm, issue that we, we're directly talking about in this episode later on where she's like, yeah, we can't I let him kill more people. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I figure they were just trying to use that to kind of let the audience know that she's decided to do this. But 
I don't like how it was done. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't thought through. Yeah. But it is it is a, a way of saying that she is ready. She's done with this game that they're playing and she's ready for the, the final fight kind of mm-hmm. um, mission statement of that scene. After she stakes the second vampire, she uh, leans down behind a gravestone and picks up Xander, who apparently has been lying on the ground the whole time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's, very, he's been very helpful accompanying Buffy on patrol. Um, mm-hmm. And he says that they've encountered five vampires in three nights, which it's always funny when in these early seasons they talk about the crazy numbers of vampires they're dealing with. And then I, like, flash to, like, episodes in season five where she, like, slays seven vampires in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's nice that they took it so easy on her when yeah. she was first starting out. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> um, I also like all of the sudden, and we saw this earlier in the season with Spike and Drew. They had a bunch of vampire lackeys, but all of a sudden, all the vampire lackeys are back. They were gone for a little while, but I guess they they came back, and now we have all the vampire lackeys that are apparently answering to Angel. And Instead it's just, of Spike. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just funny because like. Buffy is just fighting random vampires and telling them to deliver a message to Angel. So there's still this mentality of, like, a main vampire in Sunnydale. Because obviously it was the master in season one was the main guy. And then it was the anointed one for a while, and then Spike, and now it's Angel. But we kind of lose that after this season. I don't think you ever really have that again, where there's just, like, a Mm. main vampire that everybody answers to. Kind of after this season, none of the big season bads are vampires. Mm Mm-hmm. They're all different things. So I guess they don't really need lackeys anymore. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Buffy is is stating very blatantly that she just wants this over with. I I really like this moment. While they're leaving, Buffy's like, well, it'll all be over soon. Mm -hmm. And they leave. And then Angel kind of steps out of the shadows and like, yes, my love, it will. He only ever calls her my love or lover when he's Angelus. Kind of creepy. It's a creepy thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. We have uh, the uh, Giles, the Giles, being summoned to look at an obscure relic that was <laughs> dug up by construction workers. Um, yeah. And at the very first part of this scene, the guy, I guess, in charge of the obscure relic <laughs> is talking to a woman who is brushing the dust and stuff off of it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of struck me, and I know this, like, it doesn't matter or anything, but my thought when I saw it, because he leans over to her and he tells her, oh, be careful, careful. Yeah, like that. Do it like that. And she's an older woman. Like, it's not an intern or something. And I'm just like, she's probably an archaeologist or a pay, like researcher and stuff, and she would know how to, like, unearth something like that. So is this? And I know it's not. Is this important. just another example of no matter how qualified a woman is, they're still going to be told how to do their job by a man? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I know it doesn't have anything to do with the episode and stuff, but it it kind of. I just noticed it and thought <laughs> it. Like, why is he telling her how to do this? She's not like. <laughs> she she's not like a an apprentice. Yeah. She's yeah. And then there's the issue with. Um, Giles being the best authority on obscure relics anywhere. That's what I thought was funny. Is that yeah? That's something new and is literally never mentioned again. Yeah, and it's also like (laughs) apparently public knowledge. 
that this guy can just call around and say, who's the best guy for this? And they're like, well, it turns out you have a super nerd right there in your very own town. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like Giles has better opportunities out there than being a watcher if he's that renowned. <laughs> right? But I guess he's called. He is called. But yeah, he uh, looks at it and discovers that it is, in fact, a box and not just a giant solid block of concrete. And says that, you know, There's... don't don't bother to open it because that seems like a, a bad idea. Um, and he's going to work on translating the text that has been revealed on the outside. It does seem weird, though, that, um, like, later on, Angel and Drusilla almost... It almost seems like they know what this is instantly. Like, it's that famous that they know what it is instantly. And Giles mm -hmm. has to, like, do research and correspond with uh, Kendra's Watcher and all of this to verify that it is indeed a Catholic tomb. Whereas Angel just knows, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, that seems odd to me, too. I mean, what kind of expert are you, Giles? Maybe it's just something vampire style. All vampires know the legend of a Catholic. Like, mm -hmm. duh. <laughs> so, and then we switch to the high school cafeteria where we got Xander, Buffy, Cordy, Willow, and Oz. And Xander is telling the story of what happened the night before with fish sticks. Mm -hmm. Tell Angel, I'm going to kill him. No, wait. I'm going to kill you. Die! 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 Ah! Mother? Is that it? That's it. <laughs> Scene. Exactly how it happened. Well, I thought it was riveting. Uh, I was a little unclear about some of the themes. I, I put in my notes that Cordelia seems like she is genuinely enjoying Xander in this scene. Like, at the beginning when he's doing the whole reenactment with the fish sticks and, like, has the toothpick and it, like, zooms out from that and it shows her face. She seems to just be, like, enjoying Xander's wackiness and it's delightful to me. Of course, you have also Oz and Willow snugglies, so lots of cuteness in this scene. I find it odd that in the script book the instructions are that say Xander is supposed to be using ketchup packets, packets to make blood. Oh. <laughs> While he's telling this story with fish sticks. But, well, not only would it be kind of gross, but also they're vampires being dusted. There is no blood. <laughs> so it's weird that that was even, like, a consideration. <laughs> and I know that you're expecting this, and probably the people who listen to us regularly are expecting this. But I'm going to point out that the people at this table are all dressed for different seasons. <laughs> I just Willow, don't even, Oz, I don't even watch for it and just wait for you to tell me when that happens. Willow, Oz, and Xander are all about winter, and this time, it's not Buffy by herself, though. Buffy and Cordelia are both dressed for, you know, summer hot weather. Yeah. Although, Buffy's is more revealing than Cordelia's is. Yeah. Sure. Again, I'll say, but based I'm on just, the time of year, it is more like spring summer weather than winter weather so Buffy and Cordelia are just more seasonally appropriate <laughs> well then the other three I guess are incredibly cold natured yeah because they're all bundled up it just it always I always notice because it's such a contrast but okay I just I had to point it out <laughs> I know people expect that every episode almost oh yeah <laughs> 
yeah, they discuss how Buffy's ready to kill Angel, and they ask her if she's sure. Uh, and then they start talking about how Buffy's not going to pass finals, and Willow's going to tutor her. Yeah, yep. Willow actually says that she will get Buffy through the semester if she has to like sweat blood, which I said is the first foreshadow of expulsion that we've had in a while. Um, we had a whole lot in the front end of this season, and then they kind of, mm-hmm. you know, backpedaled on that for a while. But now we're actually like doubling down in this scene, particularly talking about Buffy being expelled, which is in fact coming. Yeah. Oz says that. He thinks that Willow would sweat cute blood, which is the weirdest compliment, but somehow flattering, I guess. Isn't it, though? <laughs> like, uh, the weirdest. It's so weird. I don't like it. But also, it's Oz, so I like it for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> what? And they spend a little bit of time teasing each other and playing around. And then Snyder shows up to ruin mm-hmm. all the fun. Yeah. To be fair, to be fair, this is actually a pretty standard rule for high schools that you don't need to be, like, hanging all over each other and sitting in each other's lap. Well, yeah, and I get that, and that's fine. And I love uh, Willow's reaction to when he asks her if there's a chair shortage. (laughs) And she, like, thinks he's serious for a moment, which is funny. Oz has this little grin at her when she does it. So, well, He's just I, so I delighted that. in her at all times. It's yeah, because it's right. I love it because it. That's why I was exactly going to say that he gives her a delighted grin because mm-hmm. he is delighted in her, and that's exactly what it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then Snyder starts talking about how it's a classroom and don't act like this. And Buffy says, "Yeah, where they teach lunch." And then he goes kind of crazy on her. And like, it's like, just give me a reason to kick you out, Summers. Give mm-hmm. me a reason. And I've gotten my notes. I'm like, well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> like, well, it always does no, with Snyder, it, though. It always yeah, but it's, does. it's kind of extreme. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Let's, you know, sit in your own chair. Give me a reason to kick you out. You know? Yeah. Go from PDA is bad, which Buffy is not the one performing any of the PDA right there, to I will kick you out of school. <laughs> Give me a reason to expel you. And I'm just okay. Well. You do have the uh, lovely quote from Cordelia, though, when he steps away, when he, when she says, how about because you're a tiny, impotent Nazi with a bug up his butt the size of an emu? <laughs> Which, I mean, I love that little back and forth where Buffy's like, yeah, that sums it up. And she's like, doesn't it, though? <laughs> They're so in agreement on Snyder. Well, how can you not be? <laughs> So anyway, they make plans to study tonight. Buffy says she's still going to go on patrol because that's what Buffy do. And Mm -hmm. from here, we go to a flashback that includes Drusilla, which I'm very excited about. Yes. um, And I'm going to share a little tidbit that's in the script book here. Okay. When we start this flashback, the description actually says, A poor but pious girl, if you can see past the sanity... You might recognize Drusilla. (laughs) And it just, every time I read it, it cracks me up. If you can see past the sanity. And you can, you can already see, like, her leading that direction, which is nice. Like, this is a performance where she's clearly not to the levels that we expect from Drusilla. But you can Mm -hmm. see that she is, she is set up to become Drusilla. Like, it is very much the same person and... You can feel how 
this person is going to become the Drusilla that we know, which is amazing. Yeah. She's very intense. Yes. <laughs> like, even as a human, she's very intense. My mom says I'm cursed. My seeing things is an affront to the Lord that only he's supposed to see anything before it happens. But I don't mean to, Father, I swear. I swear. I try to be pure in his sight. I don't want to be an evil thing. During this scene, she mentions multiple times how she wants to be good. Mm -hmm. She wants to be a good person and do what God wants and stuff. And it's it kind of strikes me as, as just sad. Yeah. Because, yeah, she's not that anymore. Yeah. And it's interesting because we talked about Liam not, not being necessarily the best person. And then you have Drusilla here who is striving to be good. And then... If you also look through the timeline, Darla is represented as not the best person as a human. Um, and Spike is represented as a very good person as a human. So it's interesting how those change changed over where Darla recognized Angel as a good candidate because of his aggression and violent tendencies. And then Angel recognized Drusilla as a good candidate because of the fact that she was a victim and he liked that about her and torture her and drive her insane and then make her a monster. And then Drusilla, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, talks about William in reference to light because she specifically references Effulgent in that conversation where she's about to sire him. So there's like little things that you notice that trickle down, but like... Angel is the kind of jerk that will see someone who is trying to be good and be like, I'm going to turn that person into a monster because that seems like a fun thing to do. I find it interesting that the two that were not the greatest people when they had human lives are the two that end up being redeemed first mm -hmm. and, and, and more in a more extreme way mm -hmm. than the two who actually were good good kind people as humans, Drusilla and Spike. Yeah, we never see any kind of redemption for Drusilla, which I think she is, she's too far gone. Oh, yeah. But yeah, this scene between these two and the way it's played is magnificent. When she's in confession and she's just talking about how she's feeling and what her mother is saying about her and what she's seen and then Angel immediately, like, latches onto that and delights in confirming her fears and calling her a and, de yeah, devil like, child. And just, uh yeah. He's never met her before and knows nothing about her. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're evil. Oh, yeah. It's great. <laughs> he just... Yeah, he doesn't even have to think about it. He's so that sinister that after feeding off of a holy man in a in a confessional <laughs> that he's going to tell this poor innocent girl who has abilities that are really interesting. I love that they have Drusilla have these abilities before she becomes a vampire. I, I, I feel like the fact that Drusilla's is particularly like a very tragic story because she, in a different time, with different support could have been a very powerful force of good. Yes. 
because, you know, she can see these things happening. She could have prevented these two men dying in this cave-in if she understood her abilities more and was able to use them. It's very similar to the type of visions that we later see Doyle and Cordelia have. Yeah. yeah. So If she had, you know, worked at Angel Investigations, mm-hmm. she could have helped a lot. <laughs> Which, like, will lead into some of the bigger picture stuff that I, I really want to talk about in this episode is the idea of outside forces versus internal forces. And, like, maybe there was a plan for Drusilla, but Angel wrecked that plan. It's always interesting. And there's been lots of theories about Drusilla. There's been some that, you know, theorized that she was a potential slayer or an actual slayer and just didn't, like, know her powers enough to fight back. Uh, There's... There's... All kinds of random crazy theories about Drusilla, but she clearly had some abilities that echo what we've seen in the rest of the Buffyverse, particularly the visions are the big one that make me immediately think of the visions that we know are directly from the powers that be, which is that outside force. So it's, it's interesting to think about, was Drusilla receiving visions from the powers that be in a similar way that Cordelia later is. And Mm -hmm. like, yeah. (laughs) And then Angel messed that up, but she still has the visions. Like it's like, are the visions locked in no matter what? It's so interesting to like dissect that. Like how do the visions work and are they the same or are they of a different beast than what Cordelia has later? Well, I mean, as far as I know, visions from the powers that be are the only ones we ever really hear about except for like the dreams that slayers have which mm-hmm. don't really seem to be visions yeah it's we it's you're not you're never really sure are you um i like i like all of the 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 bigger universe stuff and this is this is what i'll say about this episode is i spent more time thinking about the bigger universe stuff than i thought about specific things that happened in this episode because this episode opens up a lot of doors for other stuff happening down the line but also just these characters in general and the role that they play in this bigger plan that seems to be in in the works and that's like when we'll get into the whistler and angel stuff later that's when we'll really get into stuff like that i think but this was like that first little head scratcher of just like yeah like who was drew supposed to be like what was what was her abilities yeah because it seems like there always seems to be some kind of plan that exists yeah was there ever a closure with drusilla's character not really maybe in the like the last somewhere, but like not in the yeah, show possibly. the last actual encounter with drusilla i think was when spike confesses his love to buffy and has her chained and is threatens to let That's drusilla what I... kill and then after that it's never actually drusilla again it's either flashbacks or the first yeah that's what i i was thinking um, so we never know where she goes or what happens to her after that. Yeah. I'm sure there's stuff in the comics. I'm Some of the bigger universe stuff that I'm going to talk about kind of relates to some of the stuff that's in the comics, but I haven't read all the comics and I'm kind of hit or miss on all of that. And it's, it's canon, but in my mind, loosely canon. So I'll just like accept that yeah. it exists. I have, <laughs> I've never read any of the comics. Um, 
I just can't get into comic books. I'm not sure why. I've read some of the novels and I enjoy those. Mm -hmm. But comic books, just the pictures distract me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I've, I've never read any of those. So you'll have to very much lead those conversations. That's fine. Most of them are going to be fairly brief because, like I said, I am I am trying to catch up. I've, wa- I've read bits and pieces, but some of them are extremely hard to get your hands on nowadays. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. So from there, uh, we cut again to present day and Drew is returning to the mansion, mentioning that she met an old man and she didn't like him because he got stuck in her teeth which is delightfully Drusilla. Um, Oh, yes, very much. And then she starts talking about the moon, whispering to her. An angel enters, smacking Spike in the process, because, of course, he can't keep his hands off of Spike. Um, (laughs) 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 And asks about Drew's vision, and she says that there's a tomb with a surprise inside at the museum. And Angel is just like, all of that is in your head. And then Spike's like, nope, it's in the morning paper. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, in my mind, Drusilla is totally like, yeah, I read it in the paper, but I'm just going to have this fun, like, vision time because I like to have visions. (laughs) Um, In the script, when uh, Spike says that, Drusilla is supposed to smile apologetically. Mm. Okay, so that is, really that, that is that is canon. Cool. I like that she just yeah. totally made up the crap about the vision. <laughs> uh-huh. To mess with him. <laughs> Angel takes the paper and looks at it, and Drew says that that's what has been whispering to me. And then Angel says, soon it will stop, soon it will scream. And two things happen here. So, he, um, okay. <laughs> I was going to say he just, you know, immediately knows what it is. Yeah, he does. He does just immediately know what it is, which is weird. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm going to talk more about, like, acting things. So as he's saying that, you know, soon it will scream and, and looking at Spike, who's off camera, Drew is doing this, like, weird, like, head whip thing where she's, like, getting closer and closer and then snaps her teeth. And I love that bit. And I've always focused on that bit. But for some reason, mm-hmm. this viewing, I really paid attention to David's face, and he just has the most amazing troll face. <laughs> it is the weirdest, like, grin that's just so exaggerated and not, like, intimidating at all. It just looks doofy, and I kind of love it. And he's supposed to be being, like, looking scary right there. I guess. I don't know. He just makes, like, he just has this incredibly wide grin, and his entire face, like, changes. And, like, the makeup that they do on him never really helps, because it always makes him look a little funny. (laughs) But, like, when he does that really, like, I'm a sneaky boy grin, it just cracks me up. And he does it at least twice that I noticed in this episode, but this one's particularly bad. And it's just like, oh! (laughs) That is that is a face that I did not realize I needed in my life. Um. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we cut to a scene where Buffy and Willow are in the computer classroom and Willow is helping Buffy study. And it starts out with Buffy doing this really weird baby cry. <laughs> that is I love it. Wow. <laughs> 
Really? I find it so irritating. Wow. I literally hate when she does that. <laughs> I I feel that weird baby cry. I've experienced that weird baby cry. I get it. <laughs> well, she does that and then kind of drops her pencil on the book and says, this doesn't make sense. And Willow tells her it does make sense and then actually looks at it and is like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, your work doesn't make sense. <laughs> But she's always uh, being the best teach, though. She's like, but since you realize that, it proves that you're learning, which is great. <laughs> and and technically true. Yeah. Of course, Buffy has the the conversation that I think every high schooler has had at one point. It's just like, when in the real world am I ever going to use chemistry or history or math or the English language? <laughs> it starts to spiral after a while. But <laughs> there is a lot of stuff that we learn in high school that we don't use in the real world that much. But... <laughs> She does realize eventually that there's a few things that she may need to know. Yeah. (laughs) As a very uh, eclectic homeschooler of my kids, we do not want to get started on this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast will become a completely different thing. (laughs) So Willow finds the problem and tells Buffy that she sees, you know, what the issue is. And Buffy says that it's because she's a moron and Willow props to Willow just shuts her down and says, you know, you're not stupid. You just have a lot on your mind. You can learn this real easy, but if you're not going to, you know, do it and you're just going to waste my time, then I don't I don't want to have it, you know? And like, yeah. awesome. <laughs> and Puppy's even like, yeah, you, you really are a good teacher. <laughs> Which I feel like we lose after this season. Like, they set up a lot to, like, show how good of a teacher Willow is. And we had some stuff, even in season one, where she, like, tutors Xander Mm-hmm. Um, and you see how patient she is with Xander when Xander's losing his mind. And then after this season, I don't really know if it's ever really shown again, just how she called tutors, she to that. She tutors some jock guy in season three, doesn't she? Because he help, he helps her out during the graduation scenes. Yes, I think it And like she scares him when she's doppelganger. Yeah, because I think it's like he's spo- she's supposed to tutor him and he's just like, no, you just do the work for me. And then um, yeah. Vamp Willow gets a hold of him and he's like, I'll do it, I'll do it. Yeah, and he brings her an apple. <laughs> yeah. So she tutors more, but it's never a big thing. Yeah. Like they could have done more with it. And then once they start college, we never see it again. Yeah. Yeah, and then Buffy's pencil rolls off the desk and falls down. And everyone who has been following Buffy throughout the season gets so excited. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She picks up the pencil and doesn't notice the disc. I love this. And everybody is screaming at their TV. Yeah, I love this. Because I was. I was screaming at my I love that decision because, one, it gives that moment of, oh my god, are they really going to do this to where they don't find the disc? Like, are they really going to have her be that close and she still doesn't find it and drag this on even longer? But then, she mentions that she has, like, deja vu for some reason. And, like, Yeah, a perfect memory. Yeah. And except she wasn't there. Yeah, it's another one of those like we talked about the Slayer visions and how they're all over the place. But I really like the idea of Buffy remembering things that she wasn't there for as like a weird power. I don't know why, and I don't know exactly what usefulness it would have, other than I guess occasionally finding random random floppy disks. Um, <laughs> but 
This is shown again um, earlier in the season in Surprise when she's having the dream sequence and she sees Willow with the monkey, which is a reference to Willow and Oz's conversation about the animal crackers, which is, again, something that Buffy wasn't present for. So it's kind of neat that that's all tied in. And it's in that dream, it makes that little section with Willow and the monkey even more significant because it establishes that Buffy can sometimes have visions of things that has happened, but she wasn't present for. And it sets up (laughs) this being a possibility that she could remember this disc falling, even though nobody knew it was there. And it's really cool. But yeah, Buffy. Yeah, I agree completely. I love love the scene and the way they set it up. She uh, bends down and gets the disc and hands it to Willow, who immediately says that it must be Miss Calendar's. And I love that instead of uh, setting it down to finish their lesson, she immediately puts it in the computer. Mm hmm. Curious Willow. Yeah, starts talking about how, you know, she wasn't a witch, but she dabbled. As Buffy goes into shock, seeing on the screen the restoration spell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, like, I love the little, like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy that Willow says as it just slowly zooms in to Buffy's face mm-hmm. as she realizes what she's seen. It's great. All right, flashback time! <laughs> There's a lot of flashbacks in this episode. This one confused me the most, though. Okay. Um, Because you see Angel, like, running through the woods as if in panic. And I don't know why he's running through the woods as if in panic. Because what we understand from the curse is that it is a sudden thing that you don't sense coming. Because obviously at the end of the next episode, it's a sudden thing that he doesn't sense coming. So it's Mm -hmm. almost presented like he's in panic because he's feeling the effects of the curse. But I don't really know what what the reasoning is for him running through the woods in panic as this um, witch performs this curse on him. <laughs> very much possibly be that he knows something is coming, but doesn't know what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Like he knows they're going to do something to him, but doesn't know yeah, what. And he's just trying to get to them in time. It's very possible, but it just isn't set up. And it really feels like it's setting it up in a way that he senses that it's coming before it comes, which isn't the case in the next episode, because it's very sudden in the next episode. But I do enjoy the bit of acting that takes place as he, like, slowly realizes what is going on and, and, and it starts to remember. And then you just have this man standing there and just, in true, like, what we understand this gypsy clan to be, in true fashion to their beliefs is all about laying in the guilt. It's all about the vengeance. It's all about yes, you're you're hugging. That's good. You're you're gonna hurt so much more. It's gonna be great. Um, he's just layering uh, it on. In the script book, I'm going to point out that as Angel like is kneeling there and saying no, no. In the script book, it says that he starts to scream as he remembers everything he's done. Mm. Which I feel like I would have, if they had done it right, I would have liked better. Yeah. But I, I it like would probably the weeping. be difficult to get right. Yeah. I like the weeping just because I feel like a lot of screams are often cheesy. But well, that's I like, what I mean. It had to, would have to be done right. I also like the weeping because I feel like it's very different than the way we saw Liam earlier. Like, Liam was very bombastic and over the top. 
and the idea of him being reinsold and essentially being Liam again for the first time after doing all of these horrible things, being very quiet and reserved seems like a nice counterbalance to what we saw from him earlier. So I like the I like the quiet whimper, but it it could have been like if they did the scream right, it could have been great, or it could have been yeah. Darth Vader level of bad, where he's just like no. Yeah, yeah, it would have definitely had to have been done right yeah, and and carefully. Yeah, it's always a fear when I see that someone's just gonna scream. I'm just like, uh oh. <laughs> then we go to the library and. Buffy is telling the entire group, minus Oz, that they found the restoration spell. Mm-hmm. And they're all kind of discussing it, how it might be possible to do or not do. And Willow points out that she has been studying and thinks she can do it. And she is given a warning from Giles that Performing this kind of magic, channeling these things through you way, open a door you won't be able to close. Yes. Which it kind of does, although she doesn't want to close it for a really long time. (laughs) That exchange is so important to me because Mm -hmm. of obviously the exchange that we get in season six right after she brings Buffy back and you get the rank arrogant amateur speech from from Giles and you're like oh god um (laughs) because like when she says oh I've been researching the black arts you know just for like educational fun but I may be able to work this there's like instant panic in Giles's face instant panic and Mm -hmm. he gives the warning and stuff like that and Bubby's like oh I don't want you to put yourself in danger she's like yeah but I don't want danger but you know I feel like I can do this all of that like it kind of just you glaze over that after after you watch it but like watching that reaction that that tony gives when she first mentions like that she could do this spell and giles is just like no <laughs> he doesn't like that idea at all and then well, thinking about he, the timeline it's great he knows what can happen oh yeah and it's interesting because in my mind Giles is way more capable of doing the spell at this point than Willow is, like, mm-hmm. realistically looking at it. Because he's done spells yeah. before. Like, we've seen him in this, you know, in show do spells and has clearly had more history with the black arts than than Willow has at this point. So I, I have problems with it being a, a situation where Willow's just suddenly the one that does it, even though I... I like that she's so naturally gifted that she's able to pull off this spell that even Giles is like, I don't think I'm capable of doing this. It's, you know, beyond my ability. But I think Mm -hmm. there should have been maybe more pushback from Giles because you have this initial moment. But then after that, he's more in support of it, like actually helps her and stuff. And I'm just like, "Mm." yeah. And I wonder if at this, I know that they had decided to do the magic takes over Willow and she becomes evil storyline before it happened mm-hmm. like i yeah, think it's foreshadowed for thought, so long yeah i think they had you know actually considered doing that in season five and then in season or season four and season five and i'm wondering if they already knew during this season when they were doing this episode that that would be something they would do later I think that if they had known that, they would have made Giles do more warnings. Yeah. What I will say is what they're really good at is 
teasing a lot of possibilities without knowing for sure what direction they're going to take any characters. Because they knew there was a good chance that somebody was going to go corrupt from magic, but it could have been Giles, it could have been Willow, you know, they left possibilities for several characters. Same with the Willow, Xander, and which one of them was going to start being attracted to the, the you know, same sex there was foreshadowing and discussions for both of those, and they went with Willow on that over Xander, but there was a possibility that Xander was going to be that, and there's foreshadowing in the show that shows that because they mm-hmm. left those little nuggets just in case they decided to go that direction. So yeah. they foreshadow a lot of stuff, and we tend to notice just the stuff that actually happens and don't really pay much attention to all the stuff that they foreshadow that never actually happens because they foreshadowed evil Giles so much (laughs) and we never really get it (laughs) but it is it is all throughout Buffy (laughs) evil Giles yeah you know just in case they they decide (laughs) they want to do that yeah in this conversation right after they discuss Willow doing the spell we have Xander pipe up with basically um, who cares if we can restore his mm-hmm. soul? He's, you know, bad. He yeah. killed Jenny. We're not doing this. Yeah. Um, I honestly, like, I just, from when Xander chimes in to the end of the scene, really want to play this clip because I think the performances are so good. So this spell might restore Angel's humanity? Well, here's an interesting angle. Who cares? I care. Is that right? Let's not lose our perspective here, Sander. I'm perspective guy. Angel's a killer. Sander, it's not that simple. What? All is forgiven? I can't believe you people. Xander has a point. You know, just for once I wish you would support me, and I realize right now that you were and I'm embarrassed, so I'm gonna get back to the point, which is that Angel needs to die. Curing Angel seems to have been Jenny's last wish. Yeah, well, Jenny's dead. Don't you ever... Can't you hear what I'm saying? Angel, stop it! What do you want to do? I don't know. What happened to Angel wasn't his fault. Yeah, but what happened to his calendar is, you can paint this any way you want. But the way I see it is that you want to forget all about Miss Calendar's murder so you can get your boyfriend back. Here's my thing about this scene. Xander is addressing this in all the wrong ways, in all the typical Xander fashion ways that just make him seem like the worst and the one to be hated. And honestly, if I was Buffy in this position, I would not have forgiven Xander even close to as easily as she did after this conversation. Oh, yeah, I would have been so time. mad at Xander for so long because he just mm-hmm. uh, he just he oversteps so hard in this. But mm-hmm. on a base level, I kind of agree with Xander on some of this. Yeah, he's not wrong. Everything he does and says is wrong. Yeah, and that's the thing that like drives <laughs> me crazy about this. Because like I, on a fundamental level, I totally get where like Xander's like I'm perspective guy, and I'm just like yeah. And I, I, there's we've had the conversation about the fact that what the gypsies did initially, because it's referenced as a curse and is referenced in all of this stuff. But what they did was actually more harmful in the in the long run. Potentially, obviously, there's back and forth on how on how much good slash bad Angel did after after that particular moment. But in general, the idea of cursing Angel versus just killing him 
just killing him would probably be like the better option, the more sympathetic option to him, but also the the safer option in the long run. And then mm-hmm. there's just the certain like understanding. Because it, yeah. Always the chance that he could be uncursed. Yes. And that's the risk. Like there's and the gypsies I think understood that on a base level because you have that idea of vengeance is a living thing and it just does whatever it wants to do. And so there's always the chance that the curse could backfire or something else could happen. And ultimately, it did backfire instantly for for that gypsy clan because had they just let it be or... I don't know, even if they had just killed Angel, I'm not sure if the retaliation that Darla had on them would have been as bad. But, like, yeah. Darla leads up the massacre that wipes out that clan, for the most part. Like, I mean, obviously there's some sh- strained survivors that pass down through Jenny, but she she specifically attacks them because she's trying to figure out a way to get Angel back. So, it's interesting when you look at all of that, that in a lot of ways, what Xander's saying is what we've kind of had a conversation about, is that there's a certain point where maybe just putting Angel down is the better option. Now there's bigger picture, there's powers that be that play into it, there's the wider scope and the destiny that Angel has and the Whistler side of things, and then like all of the good that Angel does. Yeah, Yeah, they don't actually let him die. (laughs) Yeah, it's so crazy. I love how Buffy creates these arguments within the group where I can totally Mm -hmm. see everybody's point of view and yeah get it there's no there's no right answer that mm-hmm. is the, the the right answer for everybody yeah now all that being said xander is very cruel and very callous to buffy especially at the end of this conversation yes <laughs> when he says that she doesn't care what happened uh to anybody and what happened to miss calendar and wants to forget about it so she can get her boyfriend back yes and man, yeah. it's that delivery that Nikki does just make you want to punch him in the face. It's so awful and so perfect for, I'm sure, what they were trying to get across. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's, it's exactly so what they good. wanted. Like, it, the way he delivers it and, like, the fact that, like, Buffy at this point has already given him, like, multiple looks of disgust. Like, she is disgusted with Xander and the way he's acting. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, Giles really kind of has the answer to this conversation. And it's overlooked because it just immediately leads into a screaming match between Giles and Xander. But I feel like Mm -hmm. Giles saying curing Angel seems to have been Jenny's last wish is the answer to this conversation. (laughs) Like, in a lot of ways, that's... For me, that's where Giles is just like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to attempt to yeah, reinstall she, Angel. Yeah, she wanted to do this. This is what she was working on when she died. Mm-hmm. There is a part of this scene at the end that was cut out from the script. Um, and it is right after <clears throat> Xander accuses her of just wanting her boyfriend back. And Buffy turns around and leaves. And it starts out, Buffy doesn't reply. She just turns and leaves the room. Cordelia says, wow, even I know that was insensitive. And Xander continues staring at the door Buffy left out of without looking away from it, says, am I wrong? 
I really like that. I wish mm-hmm. we'd got to see it. I think there's some interesting Cordelia stuff in this scene. And I could talk about Cordelia at length and have and will continue to. But I like that at first she's like, this is good. We can reinstall Angel. And then she like starts hearing the different arguments. And then at a certain point sides with Xander and Xander like loses his mind because he's so like used to arguing with Cordelia that he doesn't even realize that she's siding with him. But like she, she's fully like aware. I think Cordelia more than anybody is aware of both sides of the argument and sees, Mm -hmm. sees the, the reasoning of both sides of the argument. Like, I feel like in a lot of the ways it's Giles, Willow and Buffy against Sander and Cordelia almost is like a weird middle ground where she she says Xander has a point but you could tell that she probably was gonna say more there too and she starts off by saying this is good you know we can curse him again so Cordelia is like in this weird place in the middle and again it kind of shows the potential that she has for empathy of all the people around her and kind of understanding where everybody's coming from which is a major thing for Cordelia going forward um yes definitely but again it's it's just a minor thing it's like a minor undertone thing I mean I I really like this scene this is probably my favorite scene of the episode just because it's so intense Intense. and the performances are so great and it's it's one of the few times where we have like a true argument between the Scoobies where I feel like it's it makes sense completely. Like, everybody's point of view really makes sense. And, like, you've got a lot of different stuff going on. And, like, Buffy doesn't know what to do. And Giles is still wrestling with his emotions with Jenny. And Xander is so anti-Angel and has been so anti-Angel. And, like, Buffy's finally kind of made peace with the idea that she has to kill Angel and to put this hope in front of her, knowing that it's probably going to cause Buffy more suffering because the nature of having a romantic love interest that is a vampire causes suffering. Like, there's lots of layers to this that could be dissected to really explain why everybody's acting the way they are, and it all makes sense. Whereas there's arguments between the Scoobies later on where you're just like, really? (laughs) We're fighting about this? (laughs) Yeah, like... (laughs) Why is anyone fighting about this? (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, from there, we go back to the museum, and the curator is hanging out, hears whispers, goes to, like, touch the relic, and you think, oh, something's crazy gonna happen with this relic, but no, it's just Drusilla. She's gonna (laughs) eat this guy. (laughs) And here comes Angel with his vampire lackeys and uh, asks Drusilla to save him some. Because, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a line in this that is cut out uh, where basically he is talking to his lackeys and uh, tells them that their weak imitations of life depend on him not, on them not injuring the tomb. Oh. Yeah. He's a good leader. He's a good, like. Yeah. He's very, very uh, encouraging. Yeah. People up <laughs> I would follow him. <laughs> Well, I mean, I probably would, but it's because it's David Boranis. So then we've got Buffy in a room. She's on the phone, and she's obviously talking about Willow. And uh, they're discussing Xander and the way he acted. And we don't hear it, but Willow apparently sends, uh, says some very uh, graphic things about him. I really want to know what she said. Yeah. 
Uh, Buffy basically says she doesn't know what she's going to do, and she opens a drawer and catches sight of the clotter ring that Angel gave her. Mm-hmm. All the feels. <laughs> All the feels. Um, she tells Willow, I'll see you in a little while, and hangs up the phone. And in the episode, the next scene we have is her walking outside in the dark. There is a fairly long scene between Buffy and her mother that got cut out. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and read that one. So it says Buffy's on her way downstairs when Joyce stops her. And Joyce says, where are you going? And Buffy says, oh, um, to Willow's to study. I got two finals tomorrow. And Joyce, all right, but make sure you two study and don't talk about boys all night. Buffy, oh, we don't like boys. I mean, while we're studying. We, we like boys, some boys. As she's talking, she shifts and two crosses fall out of her bag. Joyce bends down to get them and looks at them. And Buffy says, you know, it's funny. I've just been kind of religious lately. <laughs> Joyce, oh, well, you know, your father and I are both agnostic. We've always thought you should decide for yourself. Buffy, well, I'm learning and sort of searching. Joyce, I, I guess that's good. Joyce hands her the crosses uh, and... Buffy says, okay, and Joyce says, get a ride back if you come home late. And that's the end of that. (laughs) (laughs) So just kind of a a weird little scene where her mom sees that she has crosses with her. Uh Uh-huh. It's another really Joyce scene. (laughs) Yeah, I think absolutely nothing of it. (laughs) Then we've got Buffy walking in the dark, and she hears something... And it's Kendra. Mm-hmm. Really excited. Kendra's back. <laughs> and she has come because her watcher says that there is a dark power about to rise in Sunnydale. Mm-hmm. And Buffy asked, do you, you know, know anything about it? And we cut back to the mansion. Spike seeing the tomb that Drusilla and Angel and the lackeys have brought home. And I, I assume you're going to put this sound clip in there, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll do it just for you. It's a big rock. Can't wait to tell my friends. They don't have a rock this big. I love it. I just love it. Um, and Angel tells him, you never did learn your history. Angel tells him about Kothla, who was killed by a knight who pierced the demon's heart, and that he turned to stone and was buried where neither man nor demon would look. Unless they were putting up low rent housing. Beautiful, beautiful line. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They pry it open and there is a stone demon. Mm -hmm. Angel says he's going to wake him up and destroy the world. Yes. So this is, this is the second when, when, when Angel says we're about to make history dot, dot, dot. And uh, this is the second yeah. troll smile that I noted from him. Like, it's just like it's a very yeah. specific smile that he has. That's just like, <laughs> um, and it could be, it could be, I think he's going for creepy. Yeah. <laughs> and scary in that. And that could be such a scary line. Uh-huh. We're going to make history end. Yeah. You know? So I, this is, this is a conversation we've had before. This seems really out of character, this idea of ending the world. And part of me really hates it. But then I started thinking at the end of the episode when Whistler's talking to Angel 
in New York and trying to set him on his path and all of that. And this idea of fate and destiny and all of these ideas of outside forces versus inside forces. And this is something that is somewhat explored in the show and definitely explored in Angel of this idea of free will, right? And the idea of prophecies and how much you know of your life is predestined and you have the whole line of if nothing you do matters then all that matters is what you do like it's a very like rooted in a lot of the themes of angel specifically an angel storyline and so like part of me is willing to forgive some of these weird crazy out of character moments because like i almost wonder if there's outside forces at play that are pushing these characters to make decisions that they normally wouldn't want to make to meet an end result that they're going for. And I think that what can be explored a lot going forward is this idea of who's pulling Angel's strings? Because people clearly are pulling Angel's strings. And this is a storyline that continues in the comics, I know for a fact, with Angel, where he's just like... People have been making decisions for me forever, it seems like. And Uh the idea that at the end of this, Angel goes to the Hell Dimension, and then at the beginning of next season, he just comes back. And that's never fully explained. How he just comes back. Yeah, how he just comes back. And so, like, is this part of a greater plan by some higher force outside of this show that deals with the bigger universe lore and we the don't powers that be yeah yeah it could be powers that be it could be um there's like forces that we deal with much later on that show indica- like have indications that they've meddled in angel's life for a long time jasmine's a huge indicator of that like she she talks about all of the stuff that's been set up for her coming mm-hmm. Um, and, like, there's so many weird things that happen with Angel that are unexplained. Him coming back. The fact that he and Darla were able to have a son. Like, there's just weird stuff that happens. And you just, like, how much of this is just people pulling his, like, puppet strings? So, like, part of me is, like, I'll just accept it as, like, this was a necessary step for whatever reason, to get Angel where he needed to be by some higher power that's messing with him. Because clearly higher powers are messing with Angel. And then I'm just like, okay, it's fine. He's ending the world. It doesn't make sense. But for some reason, it makes sense on a greater long-term plan that somebody has. (laughs) Yeah, possibly. (laughs) But part of me is just like the gut reaction. is like, Angel wouldn't do that. Like, Angelus would not be like, let's just destroy the world. That's not Angelus. (laughs) That's not what he wants. He wants to play in the world. Yeah. And he's like, in this very season, when Drusilla and Spike were on the Let's End the World gig, and he was just like, meh, that sounds like fun, but I also kind of want to just torture Buffy, so can I just torture Buffy for a while? Can we have that be a thing instead? And there's a conversation about that in the next episode yes. that I've always just loved. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll oh. we'll get back into this idea of characters randomly deciding that destroying the world is, is the thing that they want to do, even though it doesn't make sense for them. Like, Drusilla, I'm totally on board with. Drusilla's crazy enough to be like, yeah, let's just destroy the world. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> I totally buy that. <laughs> 
doesn't seem very Angelus-like. Yeah. Okay, so from there, we go to the library, and Giles um, has been on the phone with the museum, and the artifact is missing, and the curator has been murdered, and it was vampires. Ooh. Um, And this is when Buffy has her first, like, moment of mispronouncing Acathla as alfalfa, which is delightful. (laughs) Giles corrects her and says that, yes, it's definitely his tomb. Willow asks about the whole being sucked in a hell thing, is how I put that in my notes, which I think is the appropriate way to summarize that. And then we have this moment from Giles, which I think is also really important when it comes to big picture stuff in the Buffyverse, because this is what we understand hell to be. Hell isn't really hell so much as it is the demon dimension. And there's, we understand more about dimensions later on, and there's a bunch of them, and it's all crazy, and it just keeps ever expanding. But here he talks about mm-hmm. that there's a demon dimension that is separate from our own, that any non-demon life form that is in it will suffer horrible and eternal torment. Not only does this explain in detail what we know Angel to go through when he is sent to this dimension... But the fact that this is directed at Willow, I think, again, also foreshadows some later stuff because there's a direct callback to when Buffy dies at the end of season five. What if she's suffering the same way Angel was suffering? Um, And Willow's so blinded by that possibility that she's not willing to look at any other options for what Buffy's afterlife will be. She's so like, Buffy is in this terrible demon dimension suffering eternal torment and this is like this is a big thing that impacts several decisions going forward and it's our first understanding of what we kind of understand one possibility of the afterlife to be in in the Buffyverse the afterlife in the Buffyverse is very random (laughs) there's a lot of different ways that you can experience an afterlife in the Buffyverse Um, but this is this is like our first idea of a hellscape of just a demon dimension and you're just stuck in it. Um, and it makes sense with the way that Buffy died. So like you can understand Willow's reasoning and you can understand tracking back to this moment as being the start of Willow's understanding of what she thinks Buffy's going through after her death in season five and what motivated her to bring her back. Yes. So again, like just some um, big picture stuff going on here. Um, there is actually a t- little bit of conversation with Kendra and Buffy and everyone here that was cut out. Okay. And Kendra says, do you think Angelus and the others are responsible for the theft of the tomb? And Buffy says, I'd bet money on it. Kendra says, I can't believe you dated him. And then when Buffy looks at her, says, I mean, he's got to be stuck. Willow says, we don't know where they are. They moved after Giles torched their house. And Kendra says, you did? Good for you. <laughs> and Giles says, it was nothing, really. <laughs> and that's when Willow, and Buffy says, Willow, I think you should try to try to do the curse. And they start talking about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how Buffy's going to fight Angel, and she's going to try. But, like, if she fails, the curse might be the only thing that saves everybody. Mm-hmm. Kendra brings us brings out a sword that has been blessed by the knight that first <laughs> killed the demon. I wrote in my notes because like Giles is like, oh, let me see it. And like just kind of just 
seems fairly unimpressed by this sword that Kendridge has, like, made a big deal about. And, like, the music cues and everything. And Giles is like, oh, cool. Yeah, all right. Well, maybe this will work as a last resort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they, they look at that. And then Willow says, well, if I have to prepare for this, I can't help you study for the finals. And Buffy's like, well, you know, if we go to hell, we'll have to take it. <laughs> and then Giles mentions that Angel has a ritual of his own that he has to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of get the impression that this might not be happening right away. And we cut to Spike pacing in, I guess, what would be considered his room. And you get Funos. <laughs> a section uh, of the mansion. His pa- pacing section area. Of the mansion. His pacing area. Yeah. <laughs> And Drusilla calls out for him, at which point he, like, jumps back into his wheelchair. Kind of a little reminder that he doesn't need it. Mm-hmm. And they have a little conversation that was cut where Drusilla, she tells him that the fun's about to begin. And he says, is it? Seems more to me like the fun's about to end. Drusilla says, don't be all gloomy. Spike says, darling, if this works, everything changes Think about it. In this world, we can be kings. In the next, uh, and Drusilla says, my Spikey's getting cold feet. Don't you worry about the next world. You'll always have me. And Spike says, will I? And she doesn't answer. They hear Mm. a scream and Drusilla says, oh, the blood ritual to cleanse Angel. Let's go and see. And Spike says, oh, well, if there's Angel's blood. (laughs) And... That's where they they go out to where Angel is kind of doing a doing his that's so little funny ceremony. It's so funny that like Spike's like, oh yeah, I'll go out if Angel's gonna bleed, and it turns out that Angel doesn't bleed, but that's actually what he was supposed to do for the ritual all along. That's great. <laughs> I like the there's like lots of foreshadowing in that conversation, mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, it about- sets up. It sets up like you already know that like. Spike's planning something, and Spike's, like, not super into this end-of-the-world stuff by some of his reactions and some of his commentary that he says during it. But, like, this is one of those moments where he's just like, this is a bad idea. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this is not the kind of of end-of-the-world that I'm all for. (laughs) Well, and it sets up that he's going to try to help Buffy instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, what they expect him to do. Yeah. And that uh, he mentioned something about, is Drusilla going to stay with him in this world or the next? And he like kind of mentions that he has doubts. Yeah. It's interesting because, okay, going to get on another rant. Big picture. Big picture, Megan. Big picture, Megan, is, is, is my title for this podcast. But, like, it's interesting because in this conversation we have this moment where, like, this seems to be, like, uh, a true moment of doubt between these two. Where they're like, we're clearly mm-hmm. not clicking the way we used to click. And we know yeah. already there are unintentional foreshadowings and then later on retcons to show that Spike is already, like, falling for Buffy in this. So is that the difference? Mm-hmm. Is that why Drusilla's just like... I can already feel you pulling away, so what's the point in trying to keep you around? Because it really seems like prior to this, they were, like, so tight. Like, I think there might have been, like, a couple of points where they had to have them separated 
because of casting reasons, because, you know, Juliet Landau wasn't available for such and such flashback, but they've been together for a long time, and they've been, like, connected in a way that we don't really see vampires being connected in. Like, these two are a pair, Mm -hmm. like... You, it's it's hard to like view this in isolation, even with this season, and see how connected and close they were in school hard versus how distant they seem here. So, like again, there's no planning here. There was no great plan for Spike. Spike was completely an accidental character that they just kept making up stuff for, and it just worked out. But it makes sense, doesn't it? That after this section of time that she can feel him pulling away. She can already sense through visions or through just knowing Spike that he's not as connected um, to her, that he's already being pulled away because of his affections for Buffy. And I think in the next episode that he's in after this two-parter, he mentions that Drusilla left him because of the truce with Buffy. Yeah. So, like, that's a major turning point for Drusilla and Spike's relationship that we understand with full context of the show is definitely partly to do because of Buffy, but it was just completely accidental. And one of my favorite quotes from Joss Whedon is when he was talking about what to do with Spike, what to do with Spike... And he was just like, I was trying to figure out what to do with Spike for the longest time. And then I realized that he was madly in love with Buffy and always had been. <laughs> and it was just like a complete accidental thing that he just realized when I was like, oh, this guy totally loves Buffy. We've been writing him this way this mm-hmm. entire time and just didn't realize. Which they had. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like when you watch season two and some of the conversations they have all the way back to school hard you can see it Mm -hmm. yeah it's great (laughs) i love i love happy accidents and it's just i think spike as a character all around is one of the craziest happy accidents from a character that was just like we'll have him in for five episodes and we're gonna kill him off to show just how awesome angel is basically for the second half of mm-hmm. this season. And they're like, nope, we can't kill him off. Well, we're going to try to bring him back and make him just be like the random wrecky character and see what happens. And then he turns out to be like one of the like biggest champions of the the series. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> I'm a huge Spike fan. I'm, I'm more Team Spike than Team Angel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay, so ritual time. So um, they... <laughs> We keep getting sidetracked. <laughs> oh yeah, that's. I think that's going to happen a lot in these two episodes. <laughs> the the vampire lackeys bring a guy in front of Angel, and Angel starts doing the chanty chant, saying that he will drink and be worthy to bring forth a Cathla. Bear witness as I ascend, as I become, and bites the man, takes some of the blood onto his hand, and says the line, everything that I am, everything I have done has led me here. These are like, I don't know if this is like specifically part of the ritual, but like these are some of the lines that made me think it's just like, is there somebody else at play here? (laughs) One of the moments when you're like, these words mean more than 
it sounds like they mean. Yeah, and it's like, obviously, like, the becoming and, like, becoming a person and becoming who you truly are and all of this is, is intertwined into this. But then it's, like, really interesting when you think about the idea of this, who's saying this word, these words right now doesn't feel like the Angelus that we have learned about up until this point. Like, this feels like a different person in a lot of respects because he he's never shown an inkling to want to do something like this. And he's so singularly focused on this and this alone. He wants to bring forth a Catholic. He wants to end the world. And, like, to mm-hmm. a point where he's like, this is my destiny. This is what I was meant to do all along. And I'm just like, that makes me think that there's, like, somebody pulling your strings. Mm-hmm. Then we get to a very long sequence of flashbacks. So we flashback to Manhattan, 1996, which is mm-hmm. a very recent year at the time of this airing. And this is where we see Angel living on the streets, feeding off rats. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not a, not a good look for Angel. Um, he's in Manhattan, and Whistler finds him. And basically just reveals, like, yeah, I know everything about you. (laughs) Kind (laughs) of. So, yeah, Whistler is an interesting character because he exists to set Angel on his path. He has the same purpose that Doyle does later on, which is why those characters, like, you can associate them so much. It's like, they're somebody who's mission is to put somebody else on their mission which mm-hmm. seems like a <laughs> like a crummy mission to have and they're like oh my mission's just to make this other guy look good i guess but it's what it's what they're tasked with and it doesn't really explain like the powers that be stuff but you get this this is what you start to feel is like there is something greater out there that's trying to do something with angel specifically And yeah, like Whistler and Angel do this whole walk and talk. Um, This is where Whistler talks about uh, butcher shops and how he can just get blood from there. So that's that's fully established again that Angel starts to drink, I guess, butcher's blood. Even though in the episode Angel, it doesn't look like the type of blood that you would get from a butcher shop. It looks like medical bags, but you know. (laughs) Yeah. Angel just like is confused, wants to know who Whistler is, and Whistler says, I want to know who you are, and that Angel could go either way. Which is an interesting thing. Angel versus Angelus and that dichotomy of Angelus being like this ultimate representation of evil and Angel being this representation of good and the good that Angel can do versus the the evil that Angelus can do is kind of going back to that argument that Xander was having with the rest of them. It's just like, does the risk justify the means kind of deal? So like, here we have two very interesting things. We get the introduction of the idea of some greater force trying to pull Angel to the good side, like to actually be a champion, to be a hero. Um, And what we understand at this point is ultimately happening is that he is, in fact, a villain and is trying to end the world. So that's terrifying. But ultimately, is that another stepping stone to get him to be a hero? Is part of what 
and and Jealous does in season two what makes Angel be the person he is in his own show and all of the good that he does there. Like, it's all these different stepping stones. It's like, what part is this tug of war between evil and good and what part is the idea that you kind of get with Jasmine later on is that you kind of have to do bad things sometimes to have good outcomes. And then you have this coming from Whistler who explains that he's a demon but not a bad guy. Which is the first time I I believe in the Buffyverse that we have even contemplated that a demon could be not a bad guy. Which is interesting because it's really opening up this world in a way Mm -hmm. that we haven't seen at this point. (laughs) Yeah. And is going to expand the Buffyverse a lot. And it does it a lot more in Angel. Yes. But still, we see some of it in Buffy. This is as much as the Gypsy Curse is really a device to impact Buffy's story and to tell Buffy's story and how it kind of is frustrating the logic of the Gypsy Curse when you get into Angel later on and you're just like, it was it was set up in a way that... It made sense for Buffy's story arc, but when you get into Angel's standalone story arc, it makes less sense because obviously there's things that Angel experienced that should have been incredibly, like, true happiness level, like, you know, holding his his baby son, you know, for the first time and all of these impossible things that he experienced that didn't activate true happiness for him, you know. I've always kind of looked at that as... um after you experience true, complete happiness once, it's harder to 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 experience yeah. it again. I've really Although looked at I, it. I'm going to go with you on that, that holding his son should have. Yeah, like that's a big it. argument. It's like, okay, like, so Angel sleeping with Buffy for the first time was true happiness inducing, but not holding his baby. <laughs> Like, that's a big thing that people have problems with. And I can understand yeah, that. Yeah, I have, to, and I have be- to go with that to the point. Yeah, and I, like, because Angel was devised as a storyline for Buffy's character, like, the whole Gypsy Curse was devised to benefit Buffy's character arc and less Angel's character arc. And they had kind of just had to be stuck with it later on when they explored Angel's character further. There's stuff that doesn't match. My one argument, mm-hmm. I will say, is that the awareness is potentially enough to prevent him from ever having a moment of true happiness again. Because oh, that's nice. that fear. Like the fact that it was an ignorant bliss that first time with Buffy. He didn't know that if he experienced true happiness, he would lose his soul. Whereas that awareness that he has, that that's what happens, will prevent him from ever having true happiness again because he won't allow that's himself to. That's a really good point, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that's my counter-argument for that. But here's what I'll say about Becoming. This episode is so about Angel. Like, this first part is so Angel-focused. Like... There's there's Buffy stuff in it, and there's ideas of Buffy's becoming, but it has very little to do with Buffy's becoming. It is all about Angel. And this whole section here, even though we see Buffy becoming the Slayer and all of this and her first, you know, experience patrolling and everything like that, this is a lot about Angel deciding to become someone. And it's, it's one of the f- few times that we've seen in Buffy, especially this early on, where the focus is so much on another character besides Buffy. 
because Buffy mm-hmm. is that like central figure in all of the Buffy s- story arcs, and everything kind of revolves around her. But this this is about Angel. This is setting up his arc, like his entire future run. Um, with Angel is very like this is very critical to building his character for everything that he does later on. I agree. Yeah, and you have you have this great uh, line from Wrestler where he just says, "You can be an even more useless rodent than you are already, or you can become a person." And that's something like to understand where Angel's been for the past, you know, what ninety to a hundred years at this point is that mm-hmm. he hasn't even gotten himself to the point where he can identify as a person. <laughs> and I think that that's felt. Like, the fact that his becoming is to just become a person, not become a champion, not become a great hero, but to just do something that's good. Anything that's good. That's really pushing that direction. Like, Angel has been lost for so long up until this interaction with Whistler and him first seeing Buffy, which I'll have some stuff to say about that. But this is this is a major awakening. And there's there's an interesting timeline that that exists. And you can kind of see him starting to become more acclimated, more part of society through the middle run of his um, in sold years before he meets Buffy. And then there's the turning point that we explore later on with Faith and Angel and the the weird, like, um, dream space that they share where they're exploring flashbacks where Angel perhaps didn't, didn't try to save someone so that he could feed off of them. Like, that's the way that Angela spins it. Obviously, there's other ways that it could be spent, but that's the way that Angela spins it. And then that spirals him to the point Mm -hmm. where he is at this place at this time. Like, because we definitely see him more cleaned up, more polished, more able to interact with others. Oh, shit. Yeah. But the fact that he had that moment where he was so desperate for human blood that he believes... And I think that this is something that Angel believes and Angelus uses to taunt Angel as well. But I think Angel is probably thinking, I could have saved that person. I could have been faster. I could have been smarter. I could have done something. And part of me didn't want to because I just wanted his blood. Um, and that's the spiral that we see him at now. So there's there's some cool stuff that exists in Angel's history that really is mapped out and timelined well to explain why in like the 50s or whenever we see a fairly polished angel but in the 90s we see him literally like like homeless man living off of rats in the streets um mm-hmm. but yeah like his when we get into angel's character and get into the idea of his character being an exploration of addiction and the relapses that occur and how you can kind of fake being okay and being over it and being recovered for so long but then something will happen and you'll relapse and then you'll spiral and you'll live on the streets because you're just that desperate for a for a hit of whatever your addiction is kind of deal that really tracks well with this idea of angel is at his lowest right before he sees buffy for the first time like i really feel like angel is an absolute mess 
for the years leading up to when he first meets Buffy, which is why we talked a little bit about the maturity level of Buffy versus the maturity level of Angel and how Angel is incredibly immature because he's completely lost himself and is completely... He's he's so in this, the way that it's performed, where he's talking with Whistler, he's so, like, naive and innocent almost. Like, he's... He, he's so confused by everything and he's just bewildered by all of this. And it's like a very purposeful choice to show just how not part of the world he is. And hasn't been and for hasn't years. Been. Yeah, and hasn't been for years. He's made attempts and we see in other flashbacks where he's gotten closer, but it feels like he's faking it. Like, I feel like when you, we see the flashback in the hotels, that really feels like a moment where he's faking it. And that's when he really again, relapses hard and just lets the demon take them all. And he's just like, you know what? I'm done with this. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can see that constant vicious cycle where he starts to put himself back together and then he relapses hard and he completely falls apart because he feels that guilt all over again. Yeah. Um, So basically, Angel's like, you know, what do you want from me? Whistler's like, I want you to see something and... Um, you tell me what you want to do, and this is where we get to see little baby Buffy in her most Cordelia-esque, um, fashion, um, Mm -hmm. talking about how her dad hates her because he won't buy her a new outfit for a dance coming up, and how there's a boy at school that needs to crawl on his hands and feet to, you know, even get the chance to go to the dance with her, um, very, very, um, on the, on the nose for a lot of the the parallels that we've been drawing between uh, Buffy and Cordelia throughout the show so far. Um, Mm -hmm. And Angel is there watching from a very creepy vehicle. (laughs) Very creepy vehicle. I'm like, how do they even drive that thing? Like, in Spike's car, there are, like, little circles that aren't blacked out. But this vehicle, the entire thing is blacked out. You know, like... I don't even know how they drive it. Blind luck. And how did they get stopped by the police? <laughs> I mean, he started in Manhattan, and now he's in California. So, like, he's in L.A. right now. Because that took a really long time. <laughs> we meet Buffy's first watcher, and we watch Buffy, like, get called and told that she's a slayer for the first time. Which begs the question, has she not, like, discovered she's super strong yet? Yeah, like, it makes me wonder, like, is there a possibility, is there some some merit to the idea that maybe Drusilla was just a slayer and she just didn't realize? Because apparently you don't realize until somebody tells you. Which I don't know how that, that would work out because in uh, the very, very last episode of Buffy, like, all those girls seem to know immediately. Yeah, yeah like, I was going to so, point that out if you didn't. Like, there's definitely, like, an awakening that happens where they're just like, oh, yeah, I got Slayer strength now. Yeah, so <laughs> Buffy doesn't know that. But basically, we see her being called, um, meeting Merrick, her first watcher, killing her very first vampire, and the shock and confusion and terror that she yeah. goes through. And then um, we see her at home in her bathroom and hear her parents fighting, you know, cause they're, you know, going through their divorce or about to go through the divorce and everything. Um, I will point out here that she really needs some blinds or some curtains or stuff, something in her bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is, this is one of the creepier sections. 
<laughs> There's a lot of a lot of angel watching Buffy and Buffy like Sarah Michelle Gellar looks so young. And I know she actually is pretty yeah, young when she plays Buffy. Um but like the the juxtaposition between how she looks in this sequence to how she looks when she's facing off against Angelus just a little bit later in this episode, she looks like miles apart in maturity. And it's yes. she's just so sweet and innocent and when she like hits the vampire in the stomach and it's just like oh not the heart like it's just so cute they did some really good you know makeup stuff to make her look so young yeah like there's there's some they did good stuff with the hair and the costume like everything is just designed to make her look more young and innocent and and helpless like like you just saw her dust a vampire but she was so overwhelmed by what just happened so terrified by what just happened that you were just like oh you sweet baby but then this yeah. section where she's looking in the mirror and like crying and all that about what's going on between Joyce and Hank. I think what's interesting is it's clear in this section that Joyce and Hank had problems before the Slayer thing ever came into play. Because we just witnessed Buffy go on her very first patrol and stake her very first vampire. This is when Buffy finds out and this is clearly a fight that is not a first time fight. Um, oh yeah between Joyce and Hank but then in Nightmares Buffy talks so adamantly about how she feels like she might have been like the major cause to why they separated was because of all of the trouble that she was getting into at school and all of the the things that were happening because she was the slayer um and so here we see that this clearly isn't the case but again you see that that pattern that we've always seen from Buffy where she's just like anything that bad happens anywhere that's even remotely attached to me I'm gonna put all of the blame of that on my and me alone because <laughs> that's what mm-hmm. Buffy do and then we have Whistler uh kind of mention how young Buffy is and how she's gonna have a hard time which I think is odd because she's kind of like one of the best most successful slayers mm-hmm. she lives longer than pretty much all of them yeah i mean she definitely has a tough time but she does yeah but (laughs) she doesn't just die and stay dead um yeah um and whistler asks angel you know you want to help her what do you want to do and angel decides he's going to try to come back to life and help her yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it he decides he's going to come back to life um he's gonna he wants to become someone is what he says and i'm just like that's that's interesting um, to say, like, he, he's he been re-ensouled for so long, but he hasn't ever been human. Like, the idea of Buffy is the, the catalyst to start to humanize Angel again after he's been re-ensouled for so long. There's some slight ick factors I don't like. I, even though it's a callback to the Master and I kind of appreciate that, I don't like the, the fact that Whistler, it's just after saying she's just a kid, it's just like, oh, but she's prettier than the last Slayer, I guess, because so, you want to help her. Yeah. I'm just like, Ew. Um, But it's interesting to me that the powers that be is what we assume is causing Whistler to approach Angel about all of this stuff. And the powers that be specifically want Angel to help Buffy. Whereas we never really get a lot of powers that be influence in Buffy. Not the way that we get it in Angel. But it seems like initially the idea is part of setting Angel on this path is to aid Buffy. To get Buffy to 
wherever she needs to be for whatever purpose that she needs. Like, it's all about helping Buffy. And that's, it's, I don't know. Like, I just, the, the, the weird destiny thing that comes into play, specifically around Angel and Buffy, is what really is, like, overwhelming to me to the idea that they are, in a lot of ways, even though we both talked about how we're kind of more Team Spike than Team Angel, Angel okay. and Buffy are, like, the couple. And, like, everything in this episode reinforces this idea that yes. there are greater forces at work bringing these two together because together they build each other up to be the heroes that they eventually become. And without yes. each other, neither one of them would have gotten nearly as far. Like, Angel would probably still be living on the streets eating rats, and Buffy would probably be dead through some weird chain of events, even though it's Xander that brings her back to life and not Angel. Angel's active in that, at the in the Prophecy Girl. He's part of that quest to, bring, to get Buffy and to, like... Xander wouldn't have been able to find Buffy without Angel. It's basically what it comes down to. Like, Buffy would still be dead without Angel, even though Xander's the one that revives her. So, like, there's, like, these weird greater powers at, at in motion connecting these two so that they can be big damn heroes. <laughs> Gotta be big damn heroes. So this is when we get to the the second sound clip from Spike that you desperately want in this episode because it cuts back to current day and Angel's finishing up performing the ritual and there's fancy light show and then a Cathlo rejects him. Someone wasn't worthy. Yep. <laughs> it's <is> perfect. <laughs> I might have to put that back on my phone. <laughs> Just it's just so sing songy and wonderful. Um, Angel and Drew are so upset. They're like ranting yes. and like Drew is panicked, like an upset child. And Angel is angry, throwing stuff. They are so angry. And Spike is just sitting there with a big old grin, like trying to hide his laugh and his amusement, which is fun. But like Angel and Drew again feel over the top to me. Like I I buy the spike being like oh this is hilarious like they did it they didn't get to end the world ha 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 but like the reaction that Angel has he is so livid it's weird <laughs> yeah it is it, it's odd anyway Angel says that they're gonna turn to an old friend and that they'll have their Armageddon yeah. and then he throws a vase because he's so mad <laughs> he's a mad boy. And dramatic. It's yeah. also dramatic. Very dramatic. Um, and then we cut to an actual final. We keep mentioning finals, but now they're actually taking a final. And we have this cloaked figure walking through the hall of the high school and entering the class. And it's a vampire that says, Tonight, sundown at the graveyard, you will come to him or more will die. And like drops the blanket and burns to death in front of the class. And I'm just like... Not only does Angel have lackeys, but he apparently has enough loyalty to be like, hey, go and just, like, deliver this message and then die. Yeah. <laughs> to deliver a message yeah. for me. Yeah. And and the school doesn't get shut down for this. No, of course not. It's when this deal. person, well, vampire, spontaneously combusts in front of a whole classroom full of people. No, they finished and that. They finished that test. Uh <laughs> They're like, all right, everybody yeah. back to your seats. <laughs> um, then we are in the 
library and we are they are all discussing what they're going to do and Buffy's kind of like um yeah I need to go Kendra she wants Kendra to stay there to protect everybody Mm -hmm. and you know keep an eye on Willow while Willow gets the spell ready and Cordelia makes a really good point that she should just wait and let Angel let her know if the spell works which I, I kind of agree is a really good practical idea yeah um, and probably what she should have done. But she does it. She says she has to go. Yeah, this is goes. that line where she's just like, I can't risk him killing any more people. Which makes that whole, like, give him a- Angel a message to the vampire earlier just completely fall flat. <laughs> I'm just like, right? oh, God, that's the worst. Um, yeah, there is a moment she starts to uh, Yeah, leave. I still don't like that. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. She starts to leave and Xander's like, be careful. And she's like, I will. Um, which I guess shows that there's still some camaraderie there, even though they had that major blow up earlier. Um, again, I would not have forgiven Xander that soon. <laughs> would oh, not no. be on speaking not terms with all. Xander. <laughs> Xander would not be in the library at that point. If he came in, I'd be like, no, you go home. Um, <laughs> we don't need mm-hmm. you. And this is when Kendra gives Buffy Mr. Pointy and I just won't squee. <laughs> well, we love Mr. Pointy. We love Mr. Pointy. <laughs> I, I'm going to say right now, even though, like, Angel gives her hell and be like, oh, you're such a dummy, you fall for it every time. I don't think that Buffy's plan here is that bad. Like, she's got Willow as backup to try to reinsult Angel, which they don't, like, Angel has no idea that that's a possibility. They've got Kendra there, which as far as you would assume, they don't realize that there's another Slayer there. And mm-hmm. she's hanging back to, like, like, I feel like... She was prepared for it to be a bait-and-switch kind of scenario. Like, she was just like, no, you stay here and protect them. And it was just a bigger force that they could deal with. But I don't think it was like a, I got you moment, the way that Angel made it seem like an I got you moment. Buffy was prepared. She had planned for the possibility that something was going to happen at the library. Yes, I agree. I just had a light bulb moment from something you said. Ooh, Yes, and I will share what it is here in just a minute (laughs) when we get to that point. Well, we're not actually at the point yet, but it's just something that has always, always bothered me about this episode that I have a bunch of notes on, and I just realized why it happens. Okay, all right. Something you said. Okay, all right, I'm... Yeah. I'm glad I was ha- able to help you have a light bulb moment. Yeah, I'm not trying to be vague or anything, but we're, <laughs> we're going to get there in just a minute. And, like, I really just had a light bulb moment light bulb moment, and realized it from that's, something you said. That's happened to me so many times in these podcasts where I'm just like, I have all of these notes and all of these thoughts. And then when we're talking, I'm just like, oh, wait, here's this completely different idea that I hadn't thought uh-huh. about at all. I'm going to talk about yeah. and see what happens. <laughs> um, okay, so... Well, We'll we'll go, go from there to the cemetery and Buffy and Angel meet up. Angel says, hello, lover. And Buffy's like, shouldn't you be out destroying the world right now? And he's just like, oh, I wanted to say goodbye first. You are the one thing in this dimension I will miss. And Buffy's just like, okay, can we just fight? And <laughs> Angel's just like, well, I was just hoping we could get back together. Do we have a shot? And he's like, all right, we'll fight. It's It's a fun little exchange. I don't know if there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> and then Willow's all set up to perform the ritual we have giles reading and cordelia like burning sage and kendra standing guard and xander like i mean they're they're set up and, and prepared in a lot of ways um for this attack 
Um, but it's just a lot. Um, a vampire hits Xander um, to get on Kendra. Cordelia just stands in panic, which doesn't mm-hmm. seem very Cordelia to me. <laughs> I don't know why this seems weird to me, because I think in a lot of ways it seems like the logical thing for her to do, but then I just cut back to Prophecy Girl, and I remember the Cordelia that just bit a vampire on the arm and it's like, see how you like it? And I'm just like, no, that's that's the Cordelia I prefer. <laughs> Whereas this one's just Yeah, she panic. wouldn't just stand yeah. in panic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot happens here. Um, a vampire jumps up and pushes a bookshelf on Willow. Um, Xander's wrist is broken. Giles is knocked out. Cordelia is face-to-face with a vampire, and then Xander, in a pretty, like, badass move, throws a vampire into another vampire to give Cordelia the the clear to run, and she does, and it's all kind of intercut with uh, Buffy and Angel continuing to fight, um, and this is when Buffy pulls out Mr. Pointy, and Angel just kind of laughs it off and says, you never learn. This wasn't about you. This was never about you. And she turns and runs. And then he's like, and you fall for it every time. And I'm just like... Yeah, she realizes and she, she takes she off. She takes off. Yeah. So Kendra's still up and fighting. Xander finally gets knocked out. And this is when Drusilla enters. And <laughs> it's kind of... Everything stops. Well, she yells enough, but it's still... Mm-hmm. Like, even before that, it's kind of like a oh, hell no moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, ah, no. This would be actually, I think this is the first time we ever see Drusilla fight. Yeah, and it's just right. like, yeah. for a couple of seconds, it's not a really big thing. But I think this is the first time we ever see her fight. Yeah, I love her little, like, she's just like sitting there, like, wiggling her fingers, like, come at me. And it's just, like, she just is delighting in all of this. And it really yeah, feels so like... so confident. Yeah, it feels like a fight that she knows she's going to win before she goes in there. So I almost wonder if she had a oh, vision. Yeah. She had a vision. She's like, I'm going to kill the Slayer tonight. I know it. Like, she just knows. She's so mm-hmm. confident. Um, She kind of does some kind of of hypnotized thing to Kendra, mm-hmm. which I believe, except for the master, is the only time we see a vampire able to do that. Yeah, Drusilla and the master, I believe, are the only two that w- we've seen able to hypnotize people. Um, mm-hmm. It is a nice echo that the master was like, well, Dracula had some of that too. Um yeah. But the, the the master in his killing of Buffy, like, hypnotizes her beforehand. And Drew in her killing of Kendra hypnotizes her beforehand. Um, it's a nice echo back to that, that Slayer death pattern. Drusilla slashes Kendra's throat with her nail. Mm-hmm. And Kendra, you know, falls to the floor she's dead and drusilla leaves (laughs) and this is my problem with this part of this episode it has been my problem with this episode part of this episode since my very first watch through of buffy has always bothered me and now it doesn't because of you megan thank you very much okay i'm glad i could help what did i do (laughs) okay so kendra's a slayer right Mm -hmm. slayer blood is this potent amazing thing yeah we've seen that a lot 
where they want to drink Slayer blood, where Slayer blood will restore them, uh, where where it's an incredible rush you can't imagine mm-hmm. to drink a Slayer's blood, both throughout later in Buffy and in Angel. Yeah, Drusilla slashes Kendra's throat and wastes all that Slayer blood. Mm-hmm. Now, my only theory to this before now has been that they kind of wanted her to get caught by the police and take up her time so she doesn't immediately come back, like looking for Giles mm-hmm. and to rescue him. So as soon as a- Buffy takes off running, Angel calls the police and tips them off to a murder at the school. And that's why Drusilla slit her throat instead of bitter so they can frame Buffy. But we never really get told that. So I, I don't, wasn't real confident in it. Mm-hmm. But now, it just occurred to me that we have no knowledge of Drusilla actually knowing that Kendra was a slayer. Yeah. Like and she... that had never that had never occurred to me until just a little while ago when you said that no one knew Kendra was there. Yeah. So Drusilla very possibly didn't know what she had. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I that that's what I realized. That was my light bulb moment that Drusilla might yeah. not have known Kendra was a slayer and now it does not bother me anymore <laughs> i have an even crazier theory oh even do you? crazier okay. so we know at this point that drusilla's had slayer blood before because spike yes. shares it with her what if there is merit to the fact that drusilla was in fact a slayer and that because she was a slayer she doesn't feel those effects of Slayer blood as a vampire who was a Slayer previously. Oh, could be. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm riding high on the Drusilla didn't know she was a Slayer. So yeah, she got like mine's way deeper. Blood. Mine's way like more convoluted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mine's way like you have to like peel back eight layers before you even kind of start to look at my theory and be like, oh yeah, that could be a possibility. <laughs> But this is well, what I just, do when I, I watch this show. <laughs> well, I kind of always thought that it was because they wanted the police to investigate Buffy and, like, keep her from coming to rescue Giles and ruin the ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, it never really made yeah. s- sense well, to me, though, because I don't think that even if that's what the plan was, Drusilla would be able would, to resist Slayer blood. the Slayer blood. Yeah, and then there's also, yeah. there's some evidence to support that because, one, she was totally out of it when Kendra and Spike faced off in What's mm-hmm. My Line. Like, she was, she was not aware of Kendra at all during that fight. So Spike knew that there was, who Kendra was and that she was a Slayer, but maybe Drusilla didn't, which also supports Yeah, Drusilla the, very much... Very possibly might not have known. Yeah, which also supports maybe why Spike's like, Drusilla didn't tell me that she bagged a Slayer. Good for her. Like, maybe Drusilla just didn't know that she killed a Slayer, and that's why she didn't tell. (laughs) Because that seems like something that Drusilla might brag about. (laughs) Might brag about and also um, not waste that blood. Yeah. That's that's what bothers me. (laughs) Yeah. Don't don't be wasteful. <laughs> That's the yeah. message. Don't be wasteful. If you kill a slayer, don't like waste that blood. <laughs> anyway, um, it doesn't bother me anymore because now I've come to the conclusion and I have accepted 
in my head that is, she just didn't this know. Is, this is the way. Um, <laughs> this is the way. Uh, so yeah, then Drusilla announced, "Let's let's get what we came for," and they drag Giles out and just leave. Everybody else is unconscious. They don't bother feeding off of any of them either. And then we have the the slow motion Buffy run, <laughs> which is very intense. It's very very hard to watch slow motion run. Um, you have mm-hmm. just a little bit of like the Buffy Angel uh, love theme playing. And this is where Whistler's concluding words come through. And, like, this is another thing, like, he he pauses after talking about you're not going to be ready for these big moments. No one asks for their life to change. Not really, but it does. And then he talks about what are we helpless puppets. No, the big moments are going to come. You can't help that. It's what you do afterwards that counts. That's when you find out who you are. And this is the counterpoint to this, is that the idea of all the, the, the greater forces that exist in the Buffyverse can manipulate is big moments, right? They could manipulate um, events, but they can't manipulate people. It's up to individuals to, like, set their courses kind of deal. And this is, like, when he's... He's just like, you know, there there are things that are outside of our control that we can't prevent, that we can't prepare for, but we can't just be helpless puppets to the, those things. We have to become something from those things. And so that brings it back to not only the title of the episode, but the idea of free will existing in the Buffyverse. Because I talked a lot about the idea of all of these people being puppets for all of these greater forces but then this line is just like nope that's not what we're trying to say at all in fact it we're we're saying is that no matter what great forces seem to be manipulating your life ultimately it's you who decide who you are which is cool buffy finds kendra's body and then a gun is pulled on her and a go to the uh end credits (laughs) to be continued (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well we know the gun is police because he says they say freeze yeah yep and i'm so excited i finally have a good theory about why drusilla didn't do that (laughs) that has made my night all right i am happy that i can help yeah i'm really glad we decided to split this up into two podcasts um unfortunately our listeners will have to wait two weeks before they get to hear our thoughts on becoming part two but I guarantee you they will be just as long-winded and bombastic as these, because that is how we do. (laughs) Yes. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh, really? (laughs) We talked for a long time. (laughs) Oh, and with that, thank you all so much for listening. And this is where we say bye. Bye. I knew in my heart of hearts that I had so much to talk about that had very little to do with this episode. And I was just like, should I just not? But I couldn't stop myself. Oh, it's fine. I very much enjoyed this one. <laughs> I missed doing this. <laughs> I was just like, this episode's great. But also the Buffyverse, man. The Buffyverse. <laughs>
there's some weird stuff going on in this universe, and I'm trying to figure it out. You have no idea how happy the Drusilla theory makes me. 